Well, a happy Thursday, everyone, and welcome in another edition of This Week in Hockey as we continue to push towards 2021. I know I say that and it sounds crazy in November, but hell. We're almost done with 2020, folks, and that's the most important thing. Back with me this week is my PIC, my partner in crime. A week after, he was uh, he was very busy. So Jeremy Rutherford stepped in, and we appreciate JR of The Athletic helping out. But it's great to have Joey V back on the show with us tonight. Joe, man, how are you, buddy? You know, Alex, I got really excited, as you said. We were looking to say goodbye to 2020 this year. It took a long time, but it actually kind of flew, did it not? I mean, we're already talking about maybe 2021. Just, I mean, literally, we're about a month away. And I think a lot of people, if, if you're a believer in the year thing, uh, you think bad luck for years or a new, a new you know, chapter is going to turn as soon as the, the light comes up for 2020. If you're a believer in that, then yes, you're probably getting pretty excited knowing that January 1 is around the corner. So I don't know about about your wife, Joe, but my wife is a, is a huge Christmas person. Like as soon as Hallmark started those Christmas movies, she was glued to the television. But I don't, I don't do Christmas decorations until the day after Thanksgiving. Like that's when Christmas starts for me. Won't turn on Christmas music, won't watch Christmas movies. I got to wait till after Thanksgiving. But my wife, Katie, she's hoping to get those decorations going and start putting some Christmas in because, like we just said, how do you get to 2021 fast enough? You get to Christmas, right? Well, you see, here's the thing, Alex. I've learned in my years, because I have a wife who's a bit of a psycho, just like your wife, it sounds like. (laughs) She used to, right after Halloween, switch right to Christmas. Okay, so it's like November 2nd. Oh, my God. Does she hate Thanksgiving? She she loves Thanksgiving. In fact, we host Thanksgiving every year. I don't know about this year, but we have my entire family. I mean, two years ago, we had about 55 people in my house. I mean, cousins, aunts, uncles. Oh we gosh. love doing it. it. It's a really, really good thing. But we would do the November 2nd Christmas decoration. So literally switch it over from Halloween right into Christmas. Okay, so we did that a couple times. One year, because of schedule purposes, we had to wait till after Thanksgiving. So what I found is that November 2nd is way too freaking early because <laughs> you get so excited and then it just takes forever to get there. Yep. But then, of course, after Thanksgiving, then you only really get to celebrate Christmas for four weeks, which to me is not nearly enough. So what we're doing now, we found a hybrid. And this is what I recommend you and your wife uh, so it prevents any fights moving forward. Okay. On November 2nd or 3rd or 4th, or whenever she wants to start, early before Thanksgiving, let her do it. But do it in stages, okay? So second week of November, we put the lights up on the house. Just the white lights. We didn't do really anything else, okay? This weekend, we're going to do the garland, okay? On December 1, that's when we bring out the big fat Santa Claus that everyone in the neighborhood loves, okay? So we're doing it in stages. That's the key. It's all about little stages and then doing it to the buildup of Christmas. And that way, she can win, and she gets, you know, all, all this, yes, I love Christmas, and my husband's so supportive, and start decorating, but then you don't need to go so crazy to see Christmas basically thrown up all over your house come one weekend in November. So that's the balance that I found. Um, give it a try. See how it works tonight for you. I, I like it, Joe, and a happy wife is a happy life. So I've heard a happy pregnant wife is a very happy life. Uh, but let me ask you this, because this is the loophole. What about Christmas music and Christmas trees? Okay, so that's a good one. I think Christmas music really should be geared towards not after Thanksgiving, the week of Thanksgiving. So that Monday, I like it. Okay, you know what I'm trying to say? Yep. So this Monday, this coming Monday, I think you can start start out small. We'll start out with maybe the Mariah Carey or the Rosie O'Donnell. She has a great Christmas Did you album. just say Rosie O'Donnell? Yes, she's got a tremendous Christmas album. If you haven't checked it out, it's all these different artists. It's amazing. 
Start with that. Or maybe the chipmunks. Do no. something kitty. No chipmunks. Oh, no chipmunks and no carpenters. Those are the worst Christmas songs ever. Okay. See, that's, this is where we disagree here. I'm just saying I'm not going to do any Cosby. We're not going to do any Frank Sinatra. We're not going to do Blue Christmas by Elvis. That's all going to come after Thanksgiving. But the fun, lighthearted stuff, I think you can start Monday in doses. Christmas tree, on the other hand, I don't know how you feel about it. That cannot happen until after Thanksgiving. What do you think? My man, that's that's where I'm at. That's the okay. Christmas tree is the is the staple of Black Friday Christmas decoration. Christmas tree goes up, but I like the stages. And like I said, Joe, you may have just saved my life with my wife. So we, we got to get into it because look, I didn't even know we were going to get into Christmas conversations, but that, that's what happens when Joey and I get into conversations here. But we talk about kind of the crazies that want to jump into Christmas, and everyone who has their opinions with this, Joe. How about the crazies who jumped in on the jerseys opinions right now in the NHL? Now, I know you saw this. Let's start with the Blues because I must be the odd one out here. And you might be with me because you were kind of at the same era I was where you loved hockey in St. Louis. The the new reverse retro jerseys for the Blues, incredible. That to me was 90s Blues hockey. I see those just like I saw last year's alternative jersey. I think McKennis, Pronger, Hall, Gretzky, Oates, Fuhrer, Cujo, those jerseys are my childhood. I loved everything about those reverse retro. Hey, I like them too. I like them too. I've I've actually heard a lot of people say they like them as well. Listen, this is 2020, man. We're we're looking we're looking to create some noise. Everywhere you look, there's noise. There's riots. There's there's protests everywhere. I mean, I think if you're not making noise, if you're not doing something. It's, I would call rad. That, that, that's the word that comes to mind with jerseys, rad. I like they're just it. rad jerseys. They're not neon, but they're just – we're living in a day and age. We're just, we're just trying to make noise in, in any direction. And I think that, that the St. Louis Blues did a really good job. I thought they would go more uh, vintage, kind of traditional like they did with the Winter Classics. So I'm really excited that they decided to – Step outside their box a little bit. They kind of took a note from the Kraken book with the, the turquoise and the yep. big fish octopus leg thingy coming out. But it's, it's, it's cool. It's young. I think it's vibrant. I think it makes a little bit of noise. I think it's definitely rad. I mean, I, I really think the red is a really, really cool touch as well. It's just it's funky. This, this is funky. I think some funky love and some funkiness to the St. Louis Blues and hockey and to this world is is what we need right now. So it's like you. I think these jerseys were terrific. Well, and now I'm going to start using the word rad a lot more thanks to you, Joey V. Like, that's a word that I think is uh, is underused a lot. So the new Blues alternate retro reverse jerseys, they're pretty rad. So pretty let, rad. let me ask you then, because what were the ones that you saw on those retro reverse jerseys that the NHL put out, Joe, and you thought, Jesus, these are awful. Because there's a couple, and I want to see if you and I are on the same wavelength. You know what? The ones I thought were awful. Let's start with, you know, I didn't care necessarily for the Pittsburgh Penguins one. That logo just across the crescent from from right armpit to left hip. Uh, I just thought that, I don't know, I just thought they could have done a little bit more. They could have gone more old school. Although the third jerseys are kind of gold and everything. But that was the first one for me that I just necessarily wasn't, the biggest stand-up, although Mario Mew put it on. I mean, he looked pretty good. <laughs> he looked good in it, didn't he? <laughs> but uh, what about you with some, someone you didn't like right away? Okay, I'll give you two of them. That the, the moment I saw them, I thought, what the hell are they doing? The first one was Vegas. And I get it, Vegas doesn't really have history. So how do you do reverse retro if you don't have history? 
but it still was god-awful. It looked like a mix between pajamas and Christmas sweaters that Vegas was going out there with. So that was bad. And then the other one, which I think I'm kind of in the minority here, Joe, I hated the Minnesota Wild ones. Oh, like, you like those? No, and I get it. Everyone's saying, well, it's the Minnesota North Stars colors. Yeah, but they're not the Minnesota North Stars anymore. Like, they're still the wild logo. But here's the thing. It looks like a Subway wrapper. Like, it looks like it's a foot long wrapped in a jersey. Like, that's like I don't know what what Minnesota was doing with that there. Yeah, I'm not huge. I, I actually didn't mind it. I didn't mind that. But the one of going backwards, like the North Stars, you, you just come to mind. I like going backwards for this one. Did you see the Colorado Avalanche yes. jersey? Dude, Genius. That, I kind of want to buy one. If there was, okay, hold on. Maybe the question should be this. Alex, Yeah. if there is one jersey besides the St. Louis Blues one that you would pay 200 bucks to purchase out of your pocket of all the new retro jerseys, which one would you pick? I would pick the Calgary Flames. Flames. Uh, because I can't, I can't I, remember what that one looks like. So that was the. Uh, so it's got the. It's got like the dragon with the flames coming out of its nose oh, on the, yes, on the, yes, 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 the yes, chest, yes, yes, and it's yes. black. Like when I saw it, it flashed me back to that Stanley Cup final of the Tampa Bay Lightning versus the Calgary Flames, and all I saw was Mika Kiprasov, Jerome Ginla, Craig Conroy, and I'm like, yes, that's the jersey. So if I had to pick one, it would be the Calgary Flames. That's not the St. Louis Blues. That's that's definitely got Craig Conroy written all over. Mm-hmm. Does it not? Holy smokes! Yep. I'd have to go with the Colorado Avalanche. I, I, I mean, I love when teams pay tribute to the franchise before them, and that's what I really see here with these Colorado Avalanche jerseys. I mean, they kind of got that little Nordique thing kind of thing going on. You know, another thing, another team that they've done this already in the past that I, I am just in awe of, and I wish more teams would do this. The the um the Carolina Hurricanes. Yes. Okay. Not only not only in the past they paid tribute to the Hartford Whalers, but I love the fact. How about this? They literally went completely off the radar with those jerseys a couple of years ago. They went from the red Hurricane, the traditional red, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden they show up on the ice with these green Hartford <laughs> Whalers jerseys. And now they've kind of like, I feel like the Hartford Whalers and the Carolina Hurricane had a baby, and this is what they created with this <laughs> retro jersey. And I just, I love it, man. I love what Carolina's doing over there. I'm with you 100%, man. Like, a lot of those jerseys stuck out to me. And the Carolina Hurricanes going retro and the Colorado Avalanche going retro were awesome. Um, But, again, I'm in the minority. I don't think anything compares to what the Blues did with those rad red jerseys. But, again... I'm in the minority with this one. He's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. It is This Week in Hockey, and we are happy to have you with us on a Thursday night. When we come back, some big news happened yesterday in the NHL, which according to a couple of insiders, could affect the season and possibly cancel it. Joe and I will get into that next here on 101 ESPN. Back in here on a Thursday night, Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you here on This Week in Hockey, with you every week leading you up to whenever the season may be. And Joe, I want to go back to a show that you and I did a couple of weeks ago where you tossed it out that there there could be a chance that we don't see an NHL season. And I know a lot of people hear that and they're like, what are you talking about? Like, you can't lose that much money. Um, but I want to read you a tweet that I'm sure a lot of people have seen, but maybe there, there's some haven't, that Nick Kiprios put out yesterday. And if you don't know Nick Kiprios, yes, the man that ruined Blue's dreams back in the 90s where he fell on Grant Fuhr and injured the goaltender. But he's also a, uh, a, a insider and he hosts a show up in Canada. And now he does a podcast called The Line Movement. 
And he put the tweet out yesterday saying that the NHL Players Association has an exec board call today, 80 to 100 players expected to take part. The NHL wanting to re- renegotiate economic terms of a four-month-old agreement, some hint the possible threat of NHL canceled season if changes aren't met. So, Joe, I saw that yesterday. And one, I thought, well, that doesn't surprise me. The NHL is going back to the board after their deal, um, which they made four months ago trying to renegotiate because this pandemic with empty stadiums affects the owners more than it affects the players. But this really could put a stranglehold on a season return because if you're going back to the players after you just negotiated in the middle of the pandemic and trying to go back on that now, that's going to piss a lot of people off. Well, it's going to piss a lot of people off, but I think the players' side, I think they need to be realistic about this. I think both sides need to, Alex. I mean, the biggest news of the summer, and everyone applauded the NHL for not only getting back and finishing the season, but for negotiating a new CBA and an extension to the CBA so we're going to see hockey for the next X amount of years. I mean, that was big news. But I guess the wart in all of it, and something that I never foresaw, I don't think a lot of players did because they were so just – in awe of how good the NHL did by this was that this is under the assumption, all this new deal was under the assumption that we're going to play hockey again and have a season come December or January, which we all thought we had no idea. At least I didn't that we'd be sitting here at the end of November with still no camp date set in mind because of the numbers and the COVID going the wrong direction. We don't have a vaccine or whatever. So that's, that's where there should have been a huge asterisk in this new CBA discussion and negotiation this summer should have been, yes, this is great. The NHL did good by this. The players are good by this. The owners did great by this, the new escrow for the player, whatever, you know, all that's great. But that's if we start next year. And that was a big if. I don't think a lot of people ever foresaw this happening. I think the biggest hurdle was just to finish the season. And then once the season's done, get out of this bubble, everyone's safe. We'll get a quick little couple, couple months regroup. And this virus is going to go away and whatever. We're going to be fine. But here we are, and we're still not there yet. So I think that this is going to come back to what happened in the summer. You had the owners. You had the players. You had both sides needing to give up a lot to create a bubble to finish the year. Both sides to give up a lot to create a new CBA where it would make sense for both sides. Now, Alice, the simple the simple answer is you're going to have to have both sides get back together and give up more. I mean, that that's just where we're at. If you're a player, you can't hate the owners for this, and if you're an owner, you can't hate the players for this. That this is no, it's nothing personal. This isn't a lockout situation, and doesn't come down to dollars and cents because one side wants to make more than the other. This is a pandemic. This is something that's affect lives all around us, and that's just where they're going to have to. Face it, the, the leaders on the ownership side, the leaders on the player side, need to just say, guys, we thought we had something good. We're going to have to take something a little bit worse. That's just the way it is if you want to play hockey this year. It's at no fault of the other side. It's at no fault of us. This is just the world we're living in. And I think both sides just need to accept that, and, and they're going to have to take something away. I know players, a big one is going to be they didn't want their salaries cut based off of games. Uh, that's going to be an interesting one because now we're looking at Definitely not have an 82-game season. Yeah. Uh, Alex, I think Kiprio said, uh, which I think is masked pretty close. I, I thought I read it the other day or this morning when you were telling me about it. I think December 12th-ish needs to be camp opening if they expect to have a 60-game season. Okay, That's three weeks away. That means if the players want to have and the owners want to have a 60-game season, which is already shortened by 22 games, they would need to probably report to camp the week of December 12th, which is three weeks away. And we still have players in Europe, Russia, Canada, border issues. I mean, 
to me, this this is really starting to become more and more like crunch time, and I just don't see it, it coming to 60 games at this point, if, especially if both sides can't come together and, and learn to give a little bit more. Yeah, well, and I mean, let's be frank here, Joe. I mean, if you want to start camps in December 12th, like if that's the target date, which I do believe either was either Kiprios or Pierre Lebrun talking about, you know, the beginning of December, uh, you, I mean, you're going to have to give teams – you know, a week or two in advance to make sure that the players that are coming back are quarantined. Like, you're not just going to throw a bunch of guys into camp and say, okay, here we go, boys, because then you're going to have COVID outbreaks, which is going to stunt training camp, which is going to stunt preseason, which is going to stunt the regular season. So in all reality, we we would need to see, if we want to start January 1st, like they're talking about, we would need to see an agreement on this an agreement on where they're playing, how they're playing, how all of it is going to work by the end of November. And again, let's be honest here, Joe, that's less than two weeks away, which, I mean, we've seen it happen, but it's not going to be an easy process for these guys to decide this quick to get things back underway. So let me ask you this then, Joe, because I know a lot of people hear the words escrow and they don't understand what it means. And let me read you a piece from Elliot Freeman, but I want the player's perspective on escrow in this, Joe. So Elliot Freeman from Sportsnet up in Canada, he wrote an article last night and he said the escrow is capped at 20% for next season with that number dropping to 6% in years four, five, and six of the CBA. I'm not certain of the exact wording, but multiple sources indicated a request to consider in the eight or 9% range escrow is used to make sure the league and the players spit revenue 50-50. So give us, give our listeners an idea, Joe, of, of what this escrow truly is. Well, it's the withholding, right? So I think that, you know, the higher it is, the worse it is going to be for the players. So the players are trying to negotiate it more where less is going to be ultimately withheld from them uh, throughout this kind of process. So, you know, uh, I think that was one of the areas last year and last summer that really helped the players move forward with the negotiation. I I think that uh, the players were pleasantly surprised that the owners were willing to drop that escrow to the degree they did because that's ultimately, um, you know, what it comes down to. And the way these escrow checks kind of work as far as when they're being paid back. So all the money is basically calculated at the end of the year, and then they realize where the split was because they withhold money from the players to make sure that it is split 50-50. And then sometime during that following season, the players get a pretty nice check uh, based off of what they um, were due um, throughout this escrow situation. So the escrow is, is, is just as important, I will say, then, you know, this whole make whole thing, that's, that's another big topic for these players. You know, say this is a 60-game season versus an 82-game season, you know, um, will there be a, a make whole at some point? To give an example, back in 2014 during the lockout, we played a 48-game season. Okay, so we lost, you know, I'm not great at math, 30-plus games, whatever that is. Right. Okay, so during the lockout, we lost 30 games. So we didn't get paid. So everything was prorated when the season started. But uh, on the player's side – they they did this make whole where over the next three seasons we made up the money lost for those 30 games so it was something for the players it was a really good thing um so that's another thing that i was talking to some of the players last week about alex which is that that's important it's a two-edged sword i would say it's the escrow and where that percentage lies but then the other one's going to be will there be a make whole set up for these players for the games lost this year let's say we play 42 games let's say we play 41 it's a half a season okay so you're going to play 50 percent of your season you're not going to get compensated for those 41 games this year 
right? But mm-hmm. over the next three years, there will be a deal hopefully cut for these players, and I think they will really entice them to get back to play, knowing that over the next four to five seasons, the 41 games lost in pay will be made up in small increments over the next five years. Does that make any sense? So yeah. those are the two big topics that the players are really, really concerned about now moving forward with this kind of new setup. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Again, it's Joe Vitale, Alex Ferrario. It's This Week in Hockey. So, Joe, let me let me play the other side of this one because, you know, I understand what you're saying, meaning, you know, you can't take this this too much personal if you're a fan it's 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 kind of uncharted territory but if a, if a common fan is sitting there and sees the NBA come back and play December 22nd and found a way to get back on track throughout all of this and then they see the NHL going back and forth over these numbers is that going to damage or could that damage the NHL's kind of identity to the fan base kind of like what the lockouts did where it's billionaires and millionaires arguing over dollars it's an, I think it's important, Alex, that we we look at as fans and understand what what is different about the NHL and NBA. Should the fans be upset? Probably, um, but they also need to understand uh, the beast. You know, yes, basketball, and hockey. I would say they're both fruit, right? They're both similar, but they're also different. We got apples and oranges here. You know, the NBA from a financial situation is in a much different boat. They can go to these arenas. They can find a bubble. They don't have have one soul in the building other than the players and referees and a couple of cameramen, and they're going to be just fine. Uh, televised, you know, the games are getting out there, and, and owners are going to be making money. Now the owners can play the players. Hockey is just it's just different. It's a very different beast. And it's, I know it's a sensitive subject for fans, and they want to see hockey, and everyone does. But at the very top, you have to understand that these owners need to look out for themselves and the players and, and, and their organizations because that's what kind of feeds the monster. They're not mm-hmm. being selfish. It's not like they just want to make more and more millions of dollars. It's not that. They need to make enough money where they can pay these players and pay the venues and pay the concessions and do all the other kind of stuff they need to pay for, right? So if hockey doesn't come back, will fans be upset? Yes. But they also need to understand that without fans in those buildings, and I'm not just talking about half, I'm talking like 70, 80% capacity. You know, owners are not making a lot of money. Organizations are not making money where they can sustain the blows that they're going to be sustaining. You know, someone told me the other day, I ran into a player and who who actually really knows the finances of organizations that have been around the game a long time. You know, he, he said the NHL is like airplanes, all right? You, you ever go on an airplane and you see 20 seats empty? Those, that airplane, that, that airline on that flight is losing money. Mm-hmm. It just, it's, it's a reality. The flights, they need to be full. Every seat has to be covered if they want to make any kind of money. That, that, that's what goes into a flight. The gas, the pilots, the stewardess, uh, the food, uh, the setup at the airport, security, insurance, everything goes into this huge lump sum. They need to have every seat covered if they want to make any kind of profit. Uh, and that's why a lot of times the airlines, you wonder, oh, uh, sorry, folks, we're looking for volunteers because you accidentally oversold the airplane. They didn't oversell the airplane <laughs> on accident. They did it on purpose. They purposely sell too many tickets because out of the fear of maybe one or two losing to one or two people because they need to make sure these, these seats are full. The NHL is no different. You got to have people in those seats if you want to make any kind of money to pay for these players, to pay for the ice, to pay for the lights, to pay for the insurance. All this incredible uh, amount of money that gets built up. Uh, owners need to have people in these buildings. So to answer your question, will fans be upset? Yes, but but is it completely warranted? Out of because you're looking at selfish people and selfish owners and selfish players? No, 
there's so much going on here and with everything going on in the world and, and the owners and the players have got to try to find the best way to do it responsibly and safe, obviously, but they need people in those seats. And, and if they can't, Alex, that's where, that's where things are going to get really, really, really tricky here moving forward. One more, Joe, before we take a break. Um, your gut feeling as we sit today, will we see hockey this season? I think we will. Yes, I do. I think that both sides will come together. I think we will hopefully figure out where this world is going to be. I love the fact that vaccines are starting to be pumped out. Are they going to work? I don't know. I'm not a scientist. Is everyone going to take them? Probably not. Is everyone going to take them before January? Absolutely not. But I think maybe that's going to be just enough um, just enough clarity or maybe just um, peace of mind for some people out there. So I think that that's a, a very important thing moving forward. I think that, you know, now that we're pushing up against a half a season, I think you're going to see a lot more urgency and, and want to out of players for a while there after Edmonton, there was no way they were going to go to hub city. There was no way they were going to do a bubble again, but now that we're kind of pushing half season and now you're looking at maybe not getting paid this year. I think the players are going to find some real urgency to get, figure out a way to do it. And the owners are as well. I'm hoping um, you know, look, listen, it's been two weeks. We're starting to get good news about vaccine. What's going to happen in another two to three, four weeks uh, with the rapid testing, hopefully? Can we figure out a way to rapid test, get these players in the hub season, season games, hopefully fill these buildings up, make any kind of revenue, just try to keep our head above water just a little bit, hopefully until next year. I, I think we will. I don't think it's going to be a lot of hockey. I would like to say probably around 41 games. That seems to be the threshold where I'm feeling comfortable with. I think they can get that in before January 30th, before things start ramping up for the Olympics. So, yes, I do think we're going to see it, Alex. I just don't think it's going to be hey, – listen, it's just not going to be the NHL. We know it's just not yet. You know, we, we thought last year's bubble would be kind of the end-all, be-all to get a reset. And then next year's NHL, we're going to kick back off January 1 in Minnesota, Target Field, full of fans. Like, listen, no way. Yeah. It's not happening. People just got to be real with that. It's going to look very different again here for a little while. I think this will be the last little little glimpse of it. I do uh, in my heart, heart of hearts. <laughs> things by next August, things will be okay again. Who knows? We'll see where it's at. But this is going to look different. But I do think we'll see some NHL games. And to put a positive uh, positive positive spin on it, you know, you suck it up for this year. You take this hit this year, and and hopefully in the start of the 2021-2022 season, we're back to starting in October with a normal season and expecting to have uh, a full crowd over at Enterprise Center. Something to look forward to. He's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. Let's hone in on the Blues because there's one player – that still is kind of up in the air for St. Louis. And I'm really wondering if he's got a role on this team. So we'll touch on that with Joey next here on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Back in here on a Thursday night, Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you. Only an hour tonight like we have been for the last couple of weeks in the offseason. We take you up to Thursday night football, which is going to be a good one. A battle for first place in the NFC West. Got the Arizona Cardinals and the Seattle Seahawks. Joe, I want to talk about Vince Dunn. We haven't talked a lot about him. We've talked a lot about some other players on this team. But Vince Vince Dunn's an intriguing one because Jeremy Rutherford put a piece out on The Athletic a couple of days ago talking about, you know, what a 2023-2024 Blues roster could look like. And there were some parameters that he had to meet in that. And he had Vince Dunn on this roster still. I'm really curious what happens with this guy because still unsigned, his agent kind of screwed up his future, at least for right now, because he doesn't have those arbitration rights, at least for this season. So he's kind of sitting in purgatory, wanting a little bit better look to a contract. Doug Armstrong knows that they have an overhaul of defensemen. Vince Dunn to me is looking like you either sign a one-year team-friendly deal or 
you might be moved to another team. And maybe I'm maybe I'm looking at this a, a different way. So I'm curious your thoughts. Well, you know, it, it's 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 pretty standard, you know, what's happening with Vince Dunn. I know people like kind of freaked out, like, well, if they haven't signed him already, why why haven't they signed him? They they must be thinking move on from him. But from a business standpoint, it's actually it's it's a smart move that Doug Armstrong has done in the past, and and so it's just really no surprise. I'll give you an example. You know, Ivan Barbashev after yep. they won the cup, he didn't sign his contract. I think it was till early September, which is right at about a month before we saw some regular season games. So it, it, for, for these for these qualifying offers for these players that are restricted, it, it is pretty common. So I don't think it's any reason for players or for fans, excuse me to get freaked out about this is pretty standard Doug Armstrong. And not only do you not want to sign him right now, you want to kind of wait till closer to the season. Because like you mentioned, Alex, this is a good point. You're probably going to get a much team-friendly deal as you get closer to the season and as you start playing some games. Because the last thing a player wants to do, especially right now during a pandemic, is start missing games or missing potentially a whole season, especially a young player like Vince Dunn who has had great flashes, but also some glimpses in, in his game as well. So you don't want to sit out a whole another year now, uh, given what's going to happen with your career after that. So I, I think that Doug is taking a very slow, methodical approach to this. They did offer him a qualifying offer, meaning that uh, any team now, uh, if they want him, they have to offer him something. The Blues then could offer to match what, let's say, the Carolina Hurricanes would like him for, or they can give him up to that Carolina Hurricanes team, whoever wants him, and then get a couple of draft picks back um, uh, and, and replace for Vince Dunn, which could be a good thing as well. For Vince, if I'm him, and I'm sitting at home right now, signing Tory Crew, yes, your team is much better, but you just lost a lot more opportunity probably on that first power play unit with Petrangelo being gone. Now you're going to be back to that kind of second unit, meaning that second unit. I think Vince Dunn has some big steps to still take. I think he's definitely got the potential to do that. We've seen absolutely incredible glimpses of his game. Uh, offensively, it is there. Defensively, in spurts, it has been there as well. But, you know, from a, from a business standpoint, I think Doug is, is handling this the best way. Just kind of wait it out. Let things kind of simmer down here, get closer to the season, because ultimately – you're going to try to get him for the least amount possible, and that's kind of the the method behind the madness of waiting, waiting, waiting. The interesting one with Vince Dunn too, Joe, is is the expansion draft, which will be happening next offseason when Seattle comes into the league. And right now, you know, you have the option to go seven forwards, three defensemen, one goaltender, or ten players, if I'm not mistaken, which means you can do however many players, roster players you want. Where does Vince Dunn fall into that? Because now with Krug, the unknown of a Scott Perunovich, but you would imagine a Hobie Baker Award winner, is going to have some success. And with Justin Falk, who's locked up long term, Vince Dunn is very similar to these players. And does Doug Armstrong stick with that identity of the team of smaller, faster, offensive-minded defensemen? Or do you find a way to move on from Vince Dunn and stick with the core of a Pareko, a Falk, and a Krug and try and get bigger? Well, I think that a lot has to do with the wild card of how Justin Falk plays this year. Because Vince Dunn, to me, is going to be your second power play unit guy. He's going to eat up just shy of half the amount of power play time with Tory Krug manning, manning the top unit. And then you got Vince Dunn sliding in the second. But if Justin Falk can go out there and he can have a good year, and he can be steady five on five. And Alex, if he can command a power play unit and be that second power play unit and give the Blues a different look, being a right-handed shot versus Tory Crews' left-handed shot, mm-hmm. then that then that puts that definitely puts uh, Vince Dunn 
and, and not a good spot uh, to be either um, uh, open, being uh, open to going to Seattle, or maybe maybe you just sign him to one year, maybe a two year deal, and you trade him the offseason around the draft. I'm not I'm not sure exactly how that looks, but you know the other thing Doug Armstrong also has to keep in mind is um, you know you know you're looking kind of far ahead, but not that far ahead, is that you have a, in some UFAs coming up. After this season, right? What do you do with uh, Jaden Schwartz, who's making five point yeah. three million dollars? I think I think the Blues are are can see themselves moving on from a Tyler Bozak and Alexander Steen simply just because of their age. But I think the Tyler Bozak probably could maybe even get a year left in him. I think he def- definitely has that. With Steener's injury, I'm not sure where that's going to be. But you have all these UFAs kind of flirting around there in the distance after this season, which seems like a long time away, but it's actually not, especially if you play only 40 games or something uh, this upcoming season. So you got that, and then you got the Seattle. But uh, the, the big ones for me, and this is Doug Armstrong, and this is sometimes the common fan um, doesn't think this far ahead, but it's going to be after the following season because you have two incredible players on your roster they're going to be unrestricted free agents uh, in Colton Preco and David Perron. Yep. Uh, David Perron, when they when they signed him, four million dollars a year. People were like, "Well, bringing this guy back again for that much?" I, I, but now, I mean, Alex, I don't know how you feel about it, but holy smokes, that this is probably the most team friendly deal in the entire roster. I mean, think of what him and O'Reilly do. I mean, at four million dollars, David Perron, it, it, it's 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 kind of crazy to think that. In another year or two, when he becomes a UFA, what, what is the team going to do? And Colton Pareko are going to be a UFA after two more years as well. So, again, it sounds like two more years long way away, but you figure if you play half a season now, then you're literally – they're already into their UFA season. So, it, it, it is going to be crazy. There's a lot of finances, and we have some really good players coming up here pretty soon for the St. Louis Blues. So, how does all that fit under this Vince Dunn bubble? Well, it affects a lot. And I don't really know to what degree and, and how far that goes because the analytics guys make way more than you and me, Alex. Let's be honest, $4.5 million for David Perron, uh, that's a steal because without Tarasenko, he might be your leading scorer in a shortened season like we saw last year uh, for how good he was offensively for the Blues. Uh, one more, Joe, on this one. And um, it reminds – I guess it doesn't remind me a lot of the Joel Edmondson situation because it's different because Joel went to arbitration a couple of years. But it, 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 it kind of seems like it's trending in that direction with Vince Dunn, doesn't it, to where you're kind of holding – out and waiting to where once you sign that contract you know does the team move forward without you or are you still planning for Vince Dunn to be a part of this roster well I think that a lot of it has to do with you mentioned the waiting out process you know Joel Edmondson even joked when I saw him when we played Carolina last year he made a joke that you know I just love those one-year deals keeps me hungry (laughs) you know and that's what he did for so long right but I think that I think that not only is this a business decision on Doug's end, I mean, is it personal? Yeah, I think it's personal. Does Doug probably feel, does this team organization feel that Vince Dunn maybe could have taken a bigger step last year or the year before? Uh, possibly. I, I know that, I will say one thing, if, if they were super, super pleased with what they've seen out of him for the last two years, especially this past season, would a deal have already been done? Probably. Right. Yeah. So you have the opportunity now, and this is that kind of game within the game, the mental, the mental games of, of management for players. I think you have uh, Doug has the opportunity now to say, Hey, basically we own you and we could sign you right now, but you know what? We're going to wait a little bit. We want you to think a little bit because by not signing you, we want you to know that we think there's more there. And so this is where, you know, like again, Vince Dunn's home right now. He's training. He's probably getting hungrier and hungrier and hungrier knowing that it's not just that easy 
to get resigned. It's not that easy to get the deal you want. You have to go out and prove yourself every single day, and you got to earn it. You got to really earn it. Yeah. I think this is also kind of a warning shot for Doug Armstrong and the management here in St. Louis to Vince Dunn and for other, for every other player out there. Uh, not only is it we're trying to get you for a good value for our team, but also, hey man, we we think there is another level, and we hope that this wait out period just makes you hungrier where you're a cage lion come the time when you when you strap it back up for our team because we're going to need you man yeah makes a lot of sense i mean it's a tactic that's worked in the past and uh, a tactic that doug armstrong knows very well he's joe vitale i'm alex ferrario we'll take our final break here in this week in hockey when we come back a list of 10 teams that are expected to be at the bottom but someone made a case to make these teams contenders joe and i will discuss that next as we wrap up this week in hockey here on 101 espm final time here tonight on a thursday it's this week in hockey remember if you miss any of the program you can check it out on the uh, website 101espn.com and uh wherever you get your podcast whether it's apple uh spotify wherever you go for for your podcast just search this week in hockey and you could pull up uh any of our shows uh throughout the season all right joe so the athletic uh, down goes brown if you know that name or sean McIndoe does phenomenal pieces a lot of them are hypotheticals he puts out like different scenarios and he plays games for people this one I thought was interesting he put the top 10 teams that a lot of experts are expecting to be the bottom 10 teams at the end of the season in the NHL but he makes a case why each one of them can be contenders for the postseason let me give you the teams Joe and tell me the top three that you feel like can be competitive this upcoming season. So number so number 10 for Sean was the Minnesota Wild. Number nine, the Buffalo Sabres. Eight, the Arizona Coyotes. Seven, the Devils. Six, the Blackhawks. Five, the Ducks. Four, the Sharks. Three, the Kings. Two, the Senators. And one, the Red Wings. So out of those 10 teams, what would your top three look like in terms of competitiveness for the postseason this upcoming year? You know, I think the only one I agree with in the top three were the Ottawa Senators. Uh, you know, you get you get Matt Murray, so now you have some really steady goaltending. You had a bunch of pieces to a to I think a young team that's kind of looking to turn the tide. They added some good veterans there as well. Um, so that's number one. That's the one I agree with. The, the one I do not agree with is the Detroit Red Wings. I think they are in a building process that's going to take a couple more years, maybe three at best. Uh, and then the Buffalo Sabers, I would move them up to be in, in that top three as well. I like the move of Taylor Hall there. I like the one year I'm going to go prove myself. He's playing with Jack Eichel, who's one of the best players in the world. I think something really special under that, that coach they absolutely adore. And Buffalo is in the works. So I would put Buffalo in the top three. I would leave the Ottawa Senators there. And I would also have to say, you know, the Sharks. The Sharks, to me, are always a team that should be in the top three of this. Because, listen, you get Patrick Marlowe back, you get some really good leadership back. And they just... I look at that roster, and gosh, you look at oh, just the incredible names of, of, of Tomas Hurdle and, and uh, Couturier. There's all these, um, Logan Couture, excuse me, all these great players. Just, there's too much talent on that team. Carlson, one of the best defensemen in the league. Yeah. There's too much talent for them not to be good. So mine would be Alex, um, and see if you agree with me here. I'm going to go the Ottawa Senators, because I think with Matt Murray on the backbone now, they're going to be good. They're going to be contenders. Buffalo Sabres and Taylor Hall, I think they're going to have some, some spark in their lineup as well. And then the San Jose Sharks, simply because they just have too much talent to not be good. So do you agree and disagree with any of those? So I, I agree with the Senators one being there because I, I think, you know, one, you got Brady Kachuk, you know, you, you drafted this German player uh, second overall in the draft, which which I believe he's got an injury, but they expect him to be a part of this team this year. But the Matt Murray acquisition was big for the Ottawa Senators. I agree with those two. I, I don't agree with Buffalo 
and San Jose. I, I just think there's some holes there on those two teams, at least on the defensive side for Buffalo and the uh, um, goaltending side for San Jose. Here are the two teams that I'd put up there, Joe. I, I put the Arizona Coyotes there. Um, you've talked about Rick Tocken in the past, and we saw it last season. Kind of had a Craig Berube effect with that team, and I really think uh, they're going to have a pissed-off Oliver ekman Larson this season, which is going to make them a little bit different of a team. Here's the other one, which, correct me if I'm wrong here, I think the Minnesota Wild are going to be good this season. And I get it, man. They got rid of Miko Koivu. They traded away Eric Stahl. But Bill Guerin just seems like a no BS kind of guy, right? Like, like you know Billy from his time in Pittsburgh, Joe. This guy doesn't take crap from anybody. Like, he went into Minnesota and started shipping out player after player after player because he wants a new identity to this Minnesota Wild team. And being in the NL Central, like, you got to be tough to compete. So when I see the Minnesota Wilds name, I don't look at them as, oh, well, they're going to be god-awful this season. I look at them as they could make a push for at least a postseason spot in the in the Western Conference. You know, they're another team, you know, I agree, in the sense that they just have too many good names on their roster to not just to not be good, right. you know what I'm trying to say. And then I mean, you look at you look at you know Zach Parise, the leadership he withholds. I mean, you got Ryan Suter yeah. still. I think you know, although he's getting older, he's got one of the best best defenses still in the league. Uh, Jared Spurgeon, they, they they signed that new contract, I think, as well. Uh, as far as pieces brought in, the biggest one, I mean, Nick Benino, two times Stanley Cup champion with right. the Pittsburgh Penguins. So you're going to add some some depth there as well. Uh, Minnesota just. They're the, they're a team that just never seems to ever want to go away. They're just they're just like that. I'm trying to think of a, a good example, but every time you, I, I would say the Blues. The Blues people look at the Blues like a team that I don't care how good or bad you are. They're just a team that you know you're you're in a tough night again. Right. Like you're never going to go out and blow the Blues out. You're never going to go to Minnesota, the XL Center up in Minneapolis and Twin Cities. There, you're never going to walk in and blow out the Wild. It's going to be a tough game, even when they're not very good, or even though they have a bunch of injuries or their goaltending and Devin Dubnik's been all over the place. Which they did get rid of him, so I have to keep an eye on the goalie situation right. in Minnesota. But you know, it's you always know you're in for a dogfight. So to me, I like that one. I like that call because of I think just the culture, the culture that's been built there for 10 to 15 years, and now being taken over by Billy Guerin. You're right. Uh, Billy's won as a player. He's won as a manager. He, he's won. He's got a taste of it. He knows what it takes to get there. He's got great rapport with the people around him. He's got great rapport with the players uh, as well. He has a ton of respect for them, and they have a ton of respect for him uh, based off of what he's accomplished. So I think it's definitely a great culture change in Minnesota to bring him on uh, with his leadership skills and, and basically his knowledge and just respect around the entire city now with Billy being on, on board there. So, yeah, I like Minnesota. I, I like the call. I like that call right there. The only thing that makes me a, a little bit nervous is probably going to be the uh, the goaltending situation. I know uh, Alex Stalock, who, who did they sign this offseason? They brought in Cam Talbot. Oh, they brought in Cam Talbot. Okay, so, yeah, so it's a depth guy. I mean, you know, he's not going to steal you 15 games. He might right. steal you a handful of games here and there. So, uh, you know, with without goaltending, it makes me a little shaky, a little nervous, but you know, we'll see. We'll see how it all kind of evolves. That's a good call. It's kind of the interesting part about this upcoming season, Joe. If it's 60 games, if it's 48 games, uh, we saw it in the past on that lockout shortened season, like anything can happen. And that's why I think uh, when this season happens, and I'm saying when because I'm optimistic like you, uh, it's going to be an interesting one because pretty much every team is going to be competitive uh, from the get-go because they'll be about as well-rested um, as you can be. Joey V, it's uh, it's always great to, to get you back on the show, buddy. I'm glad you're 
you're back with us. I'm glad you enjoyed uh, your last week. Um, I, I think we're going to be doing Wednesday next week because, of course, we're not doing this week in hockey on Thanksgiving. Uh, enjoy the weekend. I'm going to implement this new Christmas rule with my wife. So thank you for that. And uh, we'll talk next week, buddy. Good luck with it, buddy. Yeah, in stages, little by little. Start with the lights, then bring out Santa, then the presents, then the tree. You know, you know how to make it work. It'll be great. Looking forward to next week, Alex. Thanks so much for the time today. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait for next week, man. There Let's you go. go. Joe Vitale, I'm Alex Ferrario. Big thank you to Mike Ryder. Have a great rest of your weekend. We'll talk to you next week here on 101 ESPN, your home for the St. Louis Blues.